This is a When Walls Can Talk network podcast. If you're like me and have had an interest in creating your own podcast but don't really know where to get started, let me tell you about Anchor. Anchor is the completely free creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Once you've finished recording, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard across all podcast streaming platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership right from your very first episode. It's everything that you need to make and distribute a podcast all in one place. To get started, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi, my name is Jeremy Haig, psychic medium, tarot reader, and proud nerd of the occult and the spiritual. I've been talking to the dead since before I can remember. Hearing their stories and listening to their lessons radically changed my life and taught me to become more curious and peel back the layers of the world around me. On this podcast, I invite you on a journey as we discuss spirituality hot topics with specialists and practitioners from across the witchcraft community, pull and explore monthly collective tarot readings, and recount lost or forgotten paranormal stories from around the world. This is When Walls Can Talk, the podcast. Hey everyone, Jeremy from the editing room here. Just wanted to jump in with two really quick notes before we leap into today's episode. First of all, I had intended to say a quick apology for the audio quality today being not quite as good as our premiere episode. Mina and I were able to meet on Zoom, which is not quite as crystal clear as I would have liked. However, I would like to say that I think it happened for a reason because using Zoom, clearly some entities were able to use our audio recording today to leave us some crystal clear messages. So if you're somebody who enjoys some EVPs or electronic voice phenomenon, definitely keep your ears peeled because there is some incredible evidence that we have captured on today's episode. If you find them, be sure to shoot me a DM on Instagram and let me know so I can tell you if you found it. Second little content warning I wanted to issue today, and a gentle heads up, we do discuss some intense topics today, which do include references to suicide and references to trauma, so if that is something that might disturb you or trigger you today, please take good care of yourself, and if that means avoiding today's episode, I completely understand. If not, and with that warning in place, let's jump into the episode. These first six episodes are the Colorado Tales shocking true stories of heartbreak, death, and the unexplained events that followed. This week, my incredible special guest is author, spiritual life coach, and Akashic Record reader, Mina Zia of Your Soul Warrior on Instagram and online. All right, welcome back, everybody. My name is Jeremy Haig. I am your host here at When Walls Can Talk, the podcast. Please welcome one of my really close friends and really really special guest, Mina from Your Soul Warrior. How are you? I'm so great. Thank you for having me on I'm so excited to have you. This is going to be so much fun. This is the sort of stuff that we talk about anyway, like just in our spare time. So now we're just happened to be recording it. 
I know. And I'm really excited for the story you're going to tell me. I feel like I'm going to be, I'm already terrified. So I'm really excited too. I'm really excited. So can you tell me a little bit about you, a little bit about your work in the spiritual community, just to introduce yourself to our listeners who might not know you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm the founder and owner of Your Soul Warrior. And we are primarily, uh, I used to do tarot and Akashic record readings and all of that, but now I have grown to helping other people launch and cultivate their spiritual businesses. So business coach is kind of my biggest thing now. Um, but I also do healings. I still do Akashic record readings from time to time and, uh, just focusing on larger scale. So I have a membership where you can learn more about all the all these things that all we're going to be talking about yeah, today. <laughs> yeah, so that's, you have a book out. I have a book out. Yep, yep. Talking about the sixteen levels of spiritual growth, so you can kind of track your progress as you go along. So yeah, lots of cool stuff. What brought you kind of into the spiritual world? Do you have any? Was there a moment? Was there a kind of period of your life? I know it's a huge question to ask anybody on the introduction to a podcast, but I was just curious what you would kind of point to as your kind of starting point on this path. Yeah. And it's a, uh, it's a little dark, but I feel like we're, <laughs> this is a dark. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Reality is darkness um, as well as light. Uh, I had like debilitating depression, anxiety. I started hearing voices and got diagnosed with schizophrenia. I was bipolar or diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So just going through, I had multiple suicide attempts and medication wasn't really working for me. Uh, someone just said, you should meditate. So I started mm-hmm. meditating. I found a spiritual teacher and started following them and, and learned so much. And, and then basically I healed myself and I realized that the things that I thought were just like me being crazy. Like I, I was like, I was actually hearing voices. Like those voices were spirits. Yeah. Talking nope. to me. Yeah. <laughs> so I just kind of discovered all these things through it. And, and I just developed a passion for, helping other people like me who are lost who their brain works in a different way. They hear things, they see things other people right. can't see, other people can't hear and just shedding light on that. And so that's kind of put a fire under me to continue on. What a powerful story. And I feel like there's so many people out there who can relate to something similar on some level of almost coming to a spiritual path out of necessity, out of yeah, it, you, it really, it's, I feel like it saved both of our lives. Yeah, it really, and having watched alongside as your career, as your, your space in the spiritual world has grown, it is wild to watch how much it has leveled up and upgraded and exploded and grown in the past couple of years. So it's so exciting to watch and I'm really excited for everything coming down the path for you. Oh my God. And same for you. It's the exact same. I'm like, yeah, it's so cool. Um, I want to ask, have you had any, I know you have, but have you had any moments that were like, oh my God, I just saw a ghost or like a particularly memorable paranormal experience. I know you've had some, but I was wondering if any like jumped to mind is like, there's that one time that I'll never forget. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I was in my parents' house and I was sleeping and then all of a sudden I, I literally heard a voice saying, don't open your eyes. And so of course, like, what am I going to do? Right, I'm of, course. My eyes. of course. So, <laughs> what, is, so what else are you going to do? I know. What else am I going to oh do? God, tell me, I have chills. Tell me everything. I opened my eyes and I, and I just saw these like three shadow figures and, and, and they were like, your whole family needs to leave this house. Like how old were you when this happened? I was like, 
oh, how, I was in high school, maybe like 17. That's still terrifying though. Yeah. Oh my God. So, oh my God. Well, cause that was kind of my first, you know, like, thing. Like, I don't have any explanations. Yeah. And I wasn't into spirituality then. So I really, I thought it was a dream. I really thought it was a dream. Um, and I just c- carried on. And then actually a few months ago, I was in a session and I was talking to a client and then a being showed up. And of course now I can just see him and talk to him and it's like normal. Right. You're right. And, um, and they were talking to me and they were like, Oh, by the way, I tried to talk to you way back when. And they like put the memory in my head of like that moment. <laughs> so cool. What, what a, like a full circle, um, validating <laughs> moment. I love when things like that happen. We're like, Oh my God, that one thing that I'll be thinking about for years that I never knew if that like happened or if it was in my mind. And then you have the moments like bingo, there it is full circle. I think it's important to say too, that a lot of people, when they work with me, they're like, I just don't want to see anything weird. Yeah. And yeah. we know that spirits are the only thing that can manifest in 3d everything yeah. else, like a demon, a, a spirit guide or like anything else, they can't actually come and be visible to any person's naked eye. It's only, it's the third eye, right? right. And so you're viewing it as that, you're viewing it then from the soul and the soul does not experience fear. Yes. So even when you're watching like the creepiest looking thing ever, you're just not scared because you're not looking at it from the ego eyes. Yes. Um, so, so I think that's why that was the only time that I was really like terrified because I was like, those are my eyeballs. Hey, Paranormal Weirdos. I truly hope you're enjoying this week's episode so far. If you're enjoying When Walls Can Talk, the podcast, I humbly welcome you to consider making a financial contribution to the When Walls Can Talk tip jar to ensure I can continue to create episodes like this one for seasons to come. Your financial support helps to cover operating costs like recording equipment, editing software, marketing materials, music rights, and helps with the purchase of books, historical publications, and research materials to ensure that every episode is as professional and as well-constructed as we possibly can. If you're interested in making a small contribution, and let me tell you that no amount is too little, please feel free to hop on over to PayPal where you can tip us through my email, jeremy at whenwallscantalktarot.com or on cash app through money sign jeremy Hag. that's money sign j-e-r-e-m-y-h-a-i-g there's also a support link in the show notes for this and every episode where you can support us directly as well thank you so much for listening to my little sales pitch and for sticking with me through this episode so far and now let's get back to the show But for now, I've got a story to tell you. Oh my God. Okay, I'm ready. So before I start, have you heard of the Croke Patterson slash Croke Patterson Campbell mansion? No, and I I make it a point to not really look into any type of stories like this because I know the minute I hear the story, like the the beings that are involved in it just show up and start talking to me. And I sometimes I'm just like, I don't want to talk. So that's why I'm... (laughs) So no, no that makes, that now makes I'm like, sense. okay, I'm waiting for whoever to show up at any moment. So the Croke Patterson Campbell Mansion is located at 420 East 11th Avenue here in Denver and is one of the oldest still standing residences in the city. 
it's like five blocks for me. I walk by it all the time. You're always like, hey, guys. Yeah, I literally sometimes go out of my way and just like stand across the corner and take pictures of it. I'm like, I'm sure I'm (laughs) super creepy. (laughs) Like, who is that weird kid who just comes by all the time and takes pictures? If you don't know what it looks like, pause the episode real quick, jump on the Googles, jump on wherever, and look at photos of the Croke Patterson Inn. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful red Chateau-esque building. It is also just blocks away from Cheeseman Park. And if you caught episode one, if you didn't listen to episode one, what are you doing with your life? Go back and watch episode one. Just kidding. Welcome. If you're just joining us today, welcome. But definitely pause. I would go back because there's so much history about Cheeseman that is going to come into play here kind of subtly, but ironically. So it was nominated for the National Register of Historic Places in 1973. And today the building is home to the four-star Patterson Inn, which opened in 2013. It's beautiful. And they've they've very carefully and very lovingly restored it back to its glory days. There are countless stories and legends about the building that don't really have any historic backing, but have lived in Denver legend for, for ages. Um, In the 1970s, it was said a baby was born to the owners and died in the nursery on the third floor and the mother committed suicide. Um, There was allegedly a seance that was held by a local newspaper stating that, quote, the spirit of a little girl whose body was entombed in the cellar was there to speak to them. They did excavate the area and they found nothing, um, but they did find a hidden chamber in the basement full of sea sand, which nobody has ever really come up with. Yeah. These are all like some legends that are, that are surround the Patterson building. Um, allegedly a woman killed herself by hanging in the turret room. Um, allegedly two dogs threw themselves from the tower to their death. Um, a man allegedly hung himself. It goes on, it goes on and on. There's countless stories But what I want to tell you is the true story and see where maybe some of these stories might have come from. So let's go back in time a little bit. I want to take you back to 1856. March 4th, 1856, Thomas Bernard Croke was born to Irish immigrants in Magnolia, Wisconsin. Wisconsin! Yeah, he used to teach school in Wisconsin, and he moved to Denver in 1874 with the, the plan to teach. Nobody really knows why he ended up not choosing to teach when he arrived. Instead, he opted to take a job as a clerk in a carpet department of a Daniels and Fisher store right downtown. After just a few years there, he rose from clerk to manager and very quickly, the owners of Daniels and Fisher decided and agreed to offer him an investment to open his own business. And so he opened Thomas B. Croak and Company and it was located at 1630 Lawrence Street, right downtown. So because of his financial success in his business, he had this home constructed for $18,000. Right? (laughs) $18,000. His contractor was named J.M. Cochran, and the architect was Isaac Hodgson, who, if you don't know who Isaac Hodgson Hodgson is, he is actually a pretty famous mansion builder from the time, both here in Denver and also in Portland. 
he built a lot in Portland and they were all um, based off of French chateaus. So he was like this famous chateau. Yeah. So he constructed the home at what was then 1075 Pennsylvania, which if you're joining us after episode one, this construction began in 1890. Do you remember what else happened in 1890? That is correct. In January of 1890, the city ordered the clearing of Cheeseman Park and gave its residents 90 days to come and remove their loved ones before construction began on site. And we all know what a chaos that was. I think there is something to be said about the fact that this building, this gorgeous chateau was being constructed the same year that all these bodies were being moved wildly unceremoniously out of Cheeseman Park. Every time I hear about that, all I think about is all of those spirits who just watch their bodies being so horribly disrespected and mutilated. I wonder like karma wise, like what relationships they're, they're playing now in, yeah. in their lives. Yeah. So the, the house was constructed in 1890. The mansion is 12,500 square feet. It features a grand ballroom, nine bedrooms and nine bathrooms, a living room, a library, and a dining room. It is located on 9,450 square feet of land on a beautiful corner lot. It is gorgeous. And the stones, this is important. I'm not going to tell you why, but this is really important to my theory behind what happened here. Okay. The stones that made up the brilliant red color of the Croke Patterson Mansion, now Croke Patterson Inn, were quarried from just outside Manitou Springs from the same stone that creates Garden of the Gods. I'm just going to leave, I'm going to leave that there for a minute. Okay. I'm going to leave that there for a little bit and we're going to come back to it. But the building was constructed with stones quarried from just outside Manitou Springs, same stones that reside in Garden of the Gods. Important. Today, the mansion is considered to be one of Denver's three finest examples of the Chateau-esque style, and it is currently the only one that survives. The other two were torn down. It is the only true Chateau-esque style mansion in the city of Denver. Almost immediately after he had this grand showpiece built, for reasons that have never been explained, Croak decided to sell the mansion immediately. The most common story claims that upon entering the mansion for the very first time after construction was completed, Mr. Croak did not even examine the entire home. The claim is that he stepped into the mansion, turned around, and left, and never returned. That's the story. Now, from historian Amy Zimmer, it is more likely that Mr. Croak and his family did actually live in the home for about six months. This was after he moved into the home with his wife, his two children, and his parents. His wife tragically passed away right away and his mother passed away less than a year later. So almost immediately the family was stricken with pretty insane loss. Another story that is a claim for why he might have gotten rid of the mansion so fast is that he was distraught because of a major loss in the silver market. So when he first went to the mansion, he realized that he could not afford to keep this home and just walked out and found a way to get rid of it. We don't know. We don't know what happened that caused him to immediately want to sell the mansion. In 1892 or 1893, Mr. Croak decided to trade the mansion with Thomas McDonald Patterson for Mr. Patterson's 14,400 acre Jones Lake Ranch, which was right next to the ranch that Mr. Croak already owned. So basically he's like, here you have my mansion. I'm going to take your land next to my ranch. We'll call it good. 
And the sale included all the furnishing. He literally just gave him everything. All the furnishings that were in the mansion remain in place. He's like, just please take it. I don't want it. Wow. So we are already kind of scratching our heads on this one. Something, something's already going on. Thomas Patterson was born in 1839 in Ireland. So this is the new owner who's taken the property. His mother's family was French Huguenot, and he and his family came to the United States when he was 10, living first in New York and then settling in Indiana. When he was younger, he worked with his father in his business as a jeweler and a printer. And after serving in the 11th India Infantry during the Civil War, Patterson enrolled in Asbury College and went to study law at Wabash College, eventually earning the bar in 1867. So this was another prestigious well-to-do man who ends up in the Denver scene. He was married to Catherine Grafton in 1863, and he was the Colorado State Congressman from 1877 to 1879. He was also a member of the People's Party, which allowed him to become really good acquaintances with the soon-to-become presidential candidate, William Jennings Bryan. And Mr. Patterson eventually became the state senator from 1901 to 1907. Good job, Mr. Patterson. Yeah, he did good. Rats, kudos. Yeah, he did good. And like we said, he got 1075 Pennsylvania from Thomas Croak in 1893. Croak Patterson Mansion. You're all coming together, right? Mr. Patterson doesn't have much better luck in the property either. In 1892, his son tragically kills himself at the age of 26 in California after a nasty battle with drug addiction, unfortunately. In 1894, his daughter died of an illness. Nobody knows why at the age of 27. These two deaths left Thomas Patterson with one surviving daughter. Ugh, horrible. Yeah. On July 16th, 1902, his wife, Catherine Grafton Patterson, also dies in the home. According to reports, she died due to, quote, nervous collapse, the result of cholera morbus. And Mr. Patterson willed the mansion to his only surviving child, Margaret Patterson Campbell. Now, part of the stipulation for the will, genius if you ask me, was that she doesn't actually come into possession of the home until Mr. Patterson passes. Now, a little bit about Catherine's future husband. We've got one more man who's coming into this story. We have Croak, we have Patterson, and now we have Campbell. So born in 1865 in Wheeling, West Virginia, Richard Campbell was the son of a newspaper publisher. After graduating from Dartmouth College in 1886, Campbell moved to Alabama for a little bit and then to New York, where he wrote for the New York Sun. And then finally, in 1894, he came to Denver, where he met Thomas Patterson's daughter, Margaret, and decided to marry her. They were married in 1895 in the library of the house, and they had three children of their own. So the, fa- the house continues to remain within this bloodline for quite a period of time. Richard and Margaret lived in the mansion with her father, Mr. Patterson Sr. On July 23rd, 1916, shortly after one o'clock, Mr. Patterson died suddenly of a cardiac arrest. So now the home is in the possession of Mr. Richard Campbell and his wife, Margaret Patterson Campbell. They lived there until 1924 when they purchased a new home on York Street, which another funny tie-in to episode one they actually moved into the very mansion that we talk about that became the offices of the Botanic Gardens. It remains the offices of the Botanic Gardens to this day. It's crazy how uh, this is just going to show that when you disrespect someone's body after they've died, they, they become very attached to that. Like the spirits that come and see me, they will still 
complain to me about like my body is over there. And like, can you believe that I'm there? Like, can you believe they did this to my body? Like they're very obsessed with what happened to their body. So yeah, I mean, Mr. Campbell did die in June of 1929, followed by his wife a year later. So who's going to take the property now? Mm. Margaret and Richard's daughter, Margaret Campbell, ironically, sold the property to Louise Realty Company, after which it served as the Joe Mann School of Orchestra. This is when it starts changing hands very rapidly. In 1927, the building became home for KFVR radio station. Then three years later in 1930, it's converted into seven apartments and changed hands while it was in the format of an apartment building um, several times over the next two decades. In 1932, the address was officially changed to 420 East 11th Avenue, which is the address it sits upon today. Dr. Archer and Tulene Sedan purchased the mansion in 1947 and moved into apartment number two. The east room of the basement was used as Dr. Archer's medical offices and Tulene served as his nurse. Dr. Archer was the president of the Colorado Medical Society from 1946 to 1947. Again, another very prestigious, well-to-do upperclassman of the up-and-coming city of Denver at the time. Dr. Sudan Jr., his son, was given the mansion in 1958 when his father decided to move to Boulder and the mansion was still used as apartments and Dr. Sedan Jr.'s medical offices for a couple years after that point. This is where we start getting some problems. <laughs> Dr. Sudan started to tour the country and he loved it. He loved talking at medical conferences all over the country and his wife, Tulene, spent a lot of time in the mansion alone. Apparently, the separation and loneliness is what is considered to have finally gotten to her. And in the end, she purchases some cyanide-based rat poison, goes into a small room on the top floor of the mansion, adds boiling water to the tub, pours in the poison, and creates cyanide gas and kills herself. Tulene and Margaret Campbell are the two women, or two believed women to be seen constantly at the property. We have evidence that would never be accepted into a courtroom (laughs) that suggests that Tulene was assisted in her suicide. Mm -hmm. There's no documentation. There is no proof. I can't say that here. Just did. And I will continue to say that I think there's... I think there is more to this story. So you think that someone in 3D assisted her? Someone in the spirit world? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think more realistically she was influenced but I don't know I have so many questions I have so many questions but I do believe that Tulene Sedan is one of the entities whose story is very much unfinished and whenever I like think about or research I always feel a strong call from Tulene Sedan's energy and I feel like she's still here and I don't know that she's ever going to get the peace she deserves because I don't know if her story is ever going to be Solved. I don't know if that question's ever going to be answered. When Dr. Sudan moved out of the property in October of 1972 is also when the ghost story started. It is when the reputation of the property began. In 1972, the demolition of another palatial Capitol Hill residence, the Moffat Mansion, which was one of the remaining three Chateau-esque at the time, sparked this intense grassroots effort to save what was left 
of Denver's old architectural treasures. And that was when it was purchased by a realtor named Mary Ray. She fell in love with the house. She refused to see it torn down. She bought the property, decided to keep it as apartments and likely saved it from demolition at the time. It was on track to be demolished, to be torn down. She and her husband, John, succeeded in getting the property listed as a Denver landmark in 1973. So that was completely thanks to her intense efforts. One of the stories she tells when she took possession of the property in 1973 is that when she first entered the basement of the property, there was a room full of shelves, floor to ceiling of fingers, brains, fetuses, all of this stuff in jars floating in a bombing fluid, like countless, countless jars of experimentation and embalming. And oh my, wait, are you about to tell, are you tell me the origins of that? That was more than likely Dr. Sedan Jr. who had the property after his father moved back to Boulder and was continuing to run some form of medical office out of some of the basement rooms. And that was what she found when she took possession of the property in 1972. She laughs. She, it's, it's like she just sat and poured them all and flushed them all down the toilet one by one by one by one. Three. Wait, and then she was flushing them down the toilet? Mm-hmm. Girl, don't you know that that stuff just gets in the pipes? It's, that doesn't come out. No, it's going to stick around. <laughs> That's going to stick around. Oh, my God. Oh, it's a mess. It's a mess. So we have, so like, let's like recap where we're at right now. So we have a beautiful property. It's converted into an apartment building. She's staying on the property. She owns it. She finds all of this stuff in the basement. While she owned it at this time, she was receiving numerous complaints, specifically about a room on the fourth floor. The tenants of the apartments were complaining about sounds coming from this one fourth floor room. And the sounds that were being reported from her tenants ranged from everything from a loud party to a screaming baby. And the funny thing is none of the tenants actually knew what this room was. And that's why she was so confused because this room was actually a little storage area. Like it wasn't even a full room. And it was not used as an apartment. It was just this locked door. And to this day, she still claims that she has absolutely no idea what those sounds were, what they were coming from. And this is when we get to the guard dog story. This happened 73, 74, 75, like mid 70s. There are mixed stories about what happened here. But an anonymous owner from the mid 70s reported that when they were starting some construction on the property at the time, they had left a full grown a long hair male German shepherd on the property. And they left him within the property overnight to serve as guard dog. When they returned the next morning, they found it on the patio, having thrown itself through a plain glass window on the second floor. Is this for real or is this like a tale? We don't know. That is the question. I have a, like, an, like I, I get this story from an actual recording of an anonymous owner from the 70s who refuses to be identified, uh, which makes me want to believe him, but I yeah. can't back it up. I can't back it up other than his word. But he did say that when they returned to the property the next morning, there's like a patio area in front of one of the towers where they found the body. They rushed it straight to the vet. Um, and unfortunately, the animal did pass away in about three or four days later. Oh, poor baby. They did bring a second dog to the property the following evening. Oh my God. One dog's dad just bring another one, right? right? When they returned to the property, they found it in the darkest, furthest corner of the basement, cowering in terror and completely catatonic, completely non-responsive, 
hiding in the darkest furthest corner of the basement, whimpering and moaning all by itself. This feels very PK. Right? Like this is this is one of the talking points that I'm get that I want to get to with you is there are so many things about this particular haunting that don't make a lot of sense, even within the world of hauntings. Yeah. I truly believe there's something different going on here than your traditional haunted mansion. And I can't quite get to why that is, but I, I have some thoughts. So we'll keep going and see. Okay. I have you- my theory formalizing. Okay. Okay, cool. There was a huge amount of media stunts in the eighties that were done at the property. The owner started charging money for it, which finally decreased popularity amongst, um, paranormal investigators and newscasters and so many people were doing Halloween specials in the property in the 80s it was like a big thing in 1998 the mansion was then sold to Dr. Douglas and Melody Eichler for $600,000 and they lived in the mansion for 10 years Dr. Douglas Eichler moved to Colorado to set up his veterinary practice Mr. Eichler is quoted as saying, it was everything I dreamed of. I was wealthy and looking for a grand, architecturally magnificent historical mansion. And I was able to live in a large place shaped like a castle with fancy and elegant interiors and exteriors. He was thrilled. He was over the moon. This man was worth like $10 million at the time. He also had a deep connection to his cats at the time. Yes. Uh, Yes and no. (laughs) Yes and no. But he was obsessed with renovating part of the basement into a cat cemetery. So he was carving, yeah, he was carving up sections of the basement and burying his cats down there. But for a while, he wasn't able to like figure it out architecturally. So he would keep them in a freezer in the basement. It's just, he's just a little odd. He's just a little bit of an odd nut. But yeah. When the Eichlers moved into the mansion, Melody had a full-time job. But after the birth of their triplets, she became a full-time parent in the property. While in the mansion one evening by herself, Melody reported that she was alone in bed and at the end of her pregnancy and was attempting to sit up and get out of bed. Due to her condition, she was having some serious problems rolling over. She was having triplets, so she was probably ready to burst. Yeah. And she said, I was rolling over trying to get out of bed and I looked to the side of my bed and the quote here that I have says that she saw a woman, but I have seen video evidence of her saying, I saw Margaret Campbell. She walked up to the side of her bed and said, hi, I'm Aggie. Can I help you? And Melody held out her hand. Aggie assisted her rolling over to her side, got her comfortable, tucked her back into bed, disappeared. Well, that's nice of her. Yeah. I think it's really important to like take a second here because all of the, the interviews that I've seen with Melody... She says, I don't understand the negative stories around the mansion. She's like, every paranormal experience that I ever had was loving and helpful and respectful. She says that the property didn't really take a turn until the paranormal investigators and the ghost hunters started showing up, which we well, could we could unpack that one. I, well, Wait. and like, I, I don't know. You think maybe they made a portal accidentally? I think there is one. I think there's yeah. one that lives. Oh, there's definitely one in there. I can feel yeah. that. But I'm wondering if they they opened it because they were like, they were bringing negative in with their like yeah. seeking, seeking, they were seeking negative right. and the negative became. Yeah, no, it's, it's very odd. Unfortunately, the Eichlers had to put the home up for sale in 2005 and they lost the home to foreclosure in 2007. Hmm. So the home is is in the hands of the city more or less at this point. In September 2010, the city was in discussion with Open Door Ministries to renovate and turn the mansion into a homeless shelter for men. 
due to zoning issues and neighborhood association complaints, that did not happen. So it was placed back on the market for $6.2 million. So many people came in to look at it. So many people were interested in it and nobody was able to qualify for the loan. So after several years, it was sold to the company who now has turned it into the bed and breakfast for $565,000. Wait, you can go, you can go in there now. You can go and rent a room and stay there. It's, 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 it's wild. I also can't get over the fact that they bought it for $565,000. Um, I know, That's but like pro- people are probably like paying them at this point. Like, yeah, please take it. <laughs> the current owners produced a documentary about the mansion called the castle project. If you have uh, Amazon prime video, it is on there for free. You can watch it. The fun part about this documentary, it it was initiated to be a project to document reconverting this beautiful mansion back to its glory days. It was about restoring the history of the project. And very quickly it became the ghost hunting documentary that nobody intended to make. Yeah. I think it's worth invest. I think it's worth mentioning here because I just it make it like gives me shivers when like the real construction began in 2011 to turn it into the bed and breakfast. On some of the very first days that they spent on the property, beginning all of this construction, I have seen video footage of it. I it, I have seen it. It is real. They walked up to the side of the foundation and found a very mangled, decomposed carcass of a cat right on the corner and I just I want to yeah I want to mention it because we have so many stories around animals yeah not faring too well on this property no way I can prove that's paranormal absolutely no way but it just it well and that's exactly why I said that's why I think it's a PK or poltergeist in some way because yeah I have not really seen like a spirit hurt an animal, but I have seen a PK. Yeah. I mean, I moved in here. Yeah. And a PK. Yeah. And my cat was so sick. And the minute I put it in a crystal and threw it in the river, then she was fine. Yeah. I can't prove it. I, there's so many reasons it could, could not be paranormal, but given the context of everything else we know about the property, it would make so much sense. It's just intriguing. It's an intriguing thing. Yeah. To know. And this is when stuff starts to go crazy because they are actively renovating the property. Now, immediately upon uh, beginning construction, crazy stuff was happening. Weird smells, loud noises. We're going to come back to what I put a pin in earlier about Garden of the Gods. I want to come full circle on this one now. All right. So on June 23rd, 2012, so not that long ago, a massive fire breaks out in Waldo Canyon. Now, Waldo Canyon is just miles outside of Manitou Springs and Garden of the Gods. Now, I want to mention, and I, I... What I'm about to say is oversimplifying a very profound and powerful topic, but I could go on on it for like three episodes if I went into it. Let's talk for just a second about what Garden of the Gods was. So Garden of the Gods was actually neutral ground for the, the Native Americans in this area, for the indigenous tribes in this area. Even rival tribes laid down their weapons before entering the garden. Wow. It was protected, it was sacred, it meant something to the indigenous tribes of this area. I just got a full body chill. Yeah, it, this the the if you've if you've wandered or hiked in Garden of the Gods, it feels profoundly peaceful in a way that I cannot explain unless you go there. A place of peace. It was sacred. It was protected. The Ute people were native to that area and made the land near the formations their home during the winter months, going back thousands of years. 
there's absolutely reason to believe that maybe not directly on the gardens of the garden of the gods location, but very nearby, there was absolutely a sacred burial ground. Now I have this theory that there is an energetic connection between natural objects, regardless if they're separated or not. I think that rocks that are quarried from a sacred area still have an energetic connection to where they were quarried. Yeah. It's my theory. Now, remember, in 2012, we had a massive fire raging in Colorado Springs. What do you think happens on June 24th, 2012, at the Crow Patterson Inn? Fire. At midnight, a call was made by the neighbor exclaiming that out of nowhere, there's this loud shrieking siren going off on the second floor of the mansion next door, and that she sees these random flashing lights inside the second floor. Four minutes later, the Denver uh, Denver Police Department, the uh, Denver Fire Department is on site dealing with a fire raging on the second floor out of absolutely nowhere. Wow. It's the wildest thing. Now, many people have said that, yes, there were painters working on the property at this time. There were things that were being used and worked with in this renovation that were absolutely flammable. So I can't say without a shadow of a doubt that this is a paranormal experience. However, I think it's wild that the stones were quarried from just outside Garden of the Gods and a day after a raging wildfire is being battled in that area, out of absolutely nowhere, the building built with those stones ignites. Yeah. It's my favorite part of the story. What if there really is an energetic connection between rocks like this, between natural materials like this? One of the drywallers who was working on site knew nothing about the stories or legends and experienced the shadow of a little boy running by a lower window while he was working. He immediately ran to the far side of the property and claimed that he would never return to the job site alone again. One of the primary contractors pulled the owner aside, extremely concerned about the fact that they kept hearing the sounds of a crying and screaming girl for hours upon hours upon hours while they're doing work on the property. One of the workers went up to a third floor bathroom while the rest of the crew was working in the basement to use the restroom. And when he came back down, he says, okay, okay, who was it? Who was messing with me? And everybody looked at him and said, I don't know what you're talking about. We've been working here in the basement this entire time. And he went white as a ghost and said, so nobody was up there whispering, are you there? Are you there? Are you there? The whole time that he was in using the bathroom, he came down convinced that one of the workers had been playing a joke on him. Now, all of these people are like, blue collar construction workers, most of whom either didn't believe or didn't know any of the stories. And for them to have oh these my God. Oh yeah. I feel so bad for them too. Cause you think you're just going and doing your job, just Do doing your job and you leave. And then you're in this like crazy place with all these beings talking. Yeah. <laughs> so when walls were being ripped out to renovate some of the upper floors, the workers were experiencing this strong stench emanating from the construction. And they went on, they said that they could really only describe it as the stench of death, the stench of a mortuary. And they hunted down everywhere to try and find the location of where this stench was coming from. 
never been found. But I thought it was cool because my, I think my favorite part of hearing that story, because again, this was one that's covered in the documentary, is the, the construction worker says, he's like, I don't know, I talked about it with my buddies and my buddy was saying this thing about how when ghosts are, are, are I don't want to use the word possessing because it's got this connotation, but like when they're, when they're inhabiting a space, right? And they're inhabiting a home. Uh, this friend of his had a buddy that they, the thing that they um, in, integrated themselves with was the walls. And that when you rip down a wall like that, you can be disturbing something that's been resting within the structure within, and I don't even, I don't mean physically. I mean, the borders, the boundaries, the containers, the spaces. Um, And it's a great way to explain, this is exactly why I named my business and my podcast, When Walls Can Talk, is that I think- Wow. that's, That's why, that is why, is because I believe that walls hold memory, walls hold, uh, energy walls holds um, in a way that's much bigger than just creating containers. You know, that's that's okay. literally. And I, with my interest in the paranormal and wanting to move into doing more paranormal investigations and um, quote unquote like paranormal home treatments and that kind of thing. That's 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 how I look at it. Is these walls contain their memories and their energies and their spaces, especially ones that go back so far. So like a fun fun little story to to add in there too. Yes. So an anchor from Nine News came to, she came to uh, cover an investigation at the property for Nine News. And I noticed immediately how terrified she was on the air, both during the investigation, but even more so talking about it later. Now she was, she's kind of a bad bitch. She's kind of, she's cool. I love her. And she kept explaining to the anchors that both herself and the investigators have been having the strangest things happen to them ever since they did that investigation. They had interviews that they had recorded from the visit that just disappeared from the files completely. The interview was gone. And then when they came back, the interview had returned, but the interview was all red. The screen was just solid red. Mm. They mentioned that um, they were waking up in the middle of the night, unable to breathe, and they discovered that they were waking up at the exact same moment, at the exact same day, unable to breathe. And basically, she fervently asked Nine News on the air to delete all of the tapes and to never speak of the investigation again. Yeah. Wow. And this is a journalist. This is somebody yeah. who goes to ask questions and to to peel back the layers on things. The current manager remembers walking up to the property for the very first time and looking up at the beautiful tower that's on the corner and seeing a woman on the upper floor and immediately hearing her in his head say, get off my grass. And she, he looked down and one of his feet was on the front lawn. And ever since then, he was like, I belong here. I'm, sp- I'm meant to work here. I'm meant to be here. One sad story that has a huge amount of question marks around it as well is there was a plumber who was brought on by the contractor to work on the property. And he was described as a plumber who created works of art. That was how the contractors described him as somebody who made magic with his plumbing was an art form to him. It was something he loved, something he was good at and could create magic. And, and it was creative and intuitive and was a gift to work with and a, a pleasure to be around. He was described as working on the property for about a week and constantly complaining constantly angry the his fellow construction workers described him as having a gray appearance the entire time he worked there and after a while they had to ask him to leave the job site because uh 
the work wasn't being done and the, his attitude was a challenge to be around for the other construction mm-hmm. workers. They tried to keep up with him for the following two weeks and could not reach him. Finally, the construction worker and the plumber's brother broke into his home and discovered him deceased in his bed. And he had passed from a sudden and very unexplained heart attack less than two weeks after spending a week working on the property. Very sad story, but it's clear that he was affected by something within the property. Yeah. And that's the story that brings us to today. This is the history of how this property is so fucked up, to be honest. But I, I, the things that I wanted to talk about with you before we go today is a couple things that have stuck out to me about the story and about the history of this property and what people have experienced is that almost everybody has explained that it's not a normal type of haunting. You'd expect this, this property to be haunted by all the people who passed and the children who passed early and, and Tulane. And it doesn't seem like that's the case. It seems like the Croke Patterson mansion is serving more as a train station. Yeah. There's constant coming and going and everybody who's tried to investigate there has either come away with nothing or everything. It's, there's a weird, I feel like we're never going to get, we're never going to get the full story here. We're never going to fully know. And that's somehow by design. Yeah. But what, do you have any theories or any thoughts on the case based on what I've told you? So I'm so curious what's stood out to you or any kind of things that you put together that I might not have even noticed. There's so much similarities and coincidences in this story, just in general. Yeah. Well, the very first things I was feeling I was hearing you talk was Portal and PK. Yeah. For sure. It's just so interesting because it feels, and I know this from my own personal experience and in working with clients, that whatever is inside you, and this is for anyone in their lives, whatever is inside you is what you are attracting to you. Yeah. So if you have whatever in you, then things that are that same vibration are going to be attracted to you. So it's really interesting that 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 woman who was pregnant, right? Like life, like having like life inside you, yeah. like this crazy life force. And she's not having any like negative experiences. She had nothing but wonderful things to say, even about, it sounded like she had countless of her own experiences with the paranormal and the property. And she had nothing but positive And I don't know, she, she had nothing but positive experiences just so interesting. It's such yeah. an interesting. Uh, so it feels, it feels like even like sadly that plumber who yeah. did such a great job and was like so good. And then he went there and got rocked. Suddenly, like yeah. it, it feels like, I don't know, maybe like he had a, I see everything as soul contracts. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I really don't believe that anything happens to you accidentally. I think yeah. that everything is already pre-decided pre-agreed on and then and then the human part of you is the one that just like lives it out like the sims like yeah. i really believe that this that is what it is the higher self is telling is orchestrating and we're just doing walking um, until you take control of your life and then you become the higher self and then you can kind of like say what's going on to an extent but it, it feels like that in a way it's like this house is like delivering contracts and and it's like interacting like very specifically with every single different person that's there yeah you know which is genius that it's set up as a bnb like when you said that it just registered to me that like probably 
everybody who ends up staying there and including myself, honestly, when I think about the, like how I would like the feeling of why I want to stay there. It's like, I have to stay there. Like I have to go there, but I bet you there are other people who aren't aware of that sensation who are called to the house for whatever reason, whether they experience nothing or they experience like the most crazy paranormal experience maybe doesn't matter necessarily here. It's perfect that this property is set up in a way to have kind of like a rotating door of people who get to experience whatever is kind of set up here to, to gain or to experience. I think it's funny too. I was just thinking about, and I've, I don't know why I've always had this impression from every time that I've heard the story about Melody. One of the things that stood out to me is before she saw Margaret, she felt pinned down. And I almost wonder if there were two things in the room at that moment, if there was something in the house that was trying to pin her down and trying to cause her harm. And if Margaret showed up to say, let me help you. And yeah. not, not only just to like, you need help, but like, a, I am here. You don't necessarily know what's going on. Please say yes to my help right now. I'm going to kick this thing's Exactly. Butt. So I can assist you. Yeah. Because she said that literally all that Margaret did was to assist her to release whatever was pinning her, allow her to roll over. She said she rolled into the corner where she was more comfortable and she was able to fall back asleep and the entity was gone. But I've always had, like, I had no reason, she never said this, but I've always had this impression that, like, what if there was two things in the room and Margaret's offer of help was more important than she even realized at the time? It's almost like a battle of positive and negative trying to balance each other out yeah. with these stories, you know? Yeah. Like, especially because if we're correct that there's, like, a portal in there, then negatives coming in but like you know there was already positive there so there's like this equilibrium sort of thing happening i also have found anytime that i've tried to i i will say i've never tried to like do a full astral projection into there because i don't know that i want to do that without having been like physically in more of the rooms of the house but whenever i think about it and whatever i like envision it i have to say it has a very unique energetic footprint in my sensing of it do you feel the same way? Where has like a very unique, there's something different happening on that little piece of land than anything around it. And I don't know how particularly or precisely that happened, but I do feel that as it was going up, it was also a beacon for all of these confused entities that are wandering around Cheeseman, unloved and ignored and mishandled. I don't know. I think something about the moment of its gestation, the, what was happening in the world around it was kind of a perfect storm to create a haunting unlike the normal, where we would say like the most haunted building ever, or the most haunted building in Denver or whatever you want to say. It's different. It's a different, it's a different history. It's a different set of circumstances. It's a different, I don't know. I think I'll be thinking about this one for a long time. Ever since I first heard about it, it's never left my mind. And I was worried going into this episode today. I was like, what if I don't have enough to talk about? (laughs) But there's so much here. There's so much. And as I dug deeper, I found more and more like one of the more recent pieces of information I discovered was that connection with the Garden of the Gods quarry. And to me, it's probably one of the most important pieces of information in this case is that the structure was walled in by stones from a a sacred, more more than likely burial ground and what that what energy that brings that probably none of the contractors had any idea what was going to come with it. But yeah. yeah. That's that's the story of the Croke Patterson Campbell mansion now Croke Patterson Inn. 
I, okay. I'm, I don't know why, but I just, oh, the minute you said you were talking about, um, the lady of the house. Yes. When you said that, I just knew like, she wants to talk to me. Okay. So I don't know what she wants to say or what she Do you have to- any sense of what she looks like? No. Okay. Can I show you her? Sure. I'll show you. Well, I'll show, I think the one I know. Um, okay. This is Margaret Patterson. This is not actually who I was looking for. That's Margaret. I don't think that's who. Wait, why did I get like a pit in my stomach when I saw her face? Oh my gosh. There's, there, I do. I truly believe that we're never going to know the full ex- extent of whatever. So this is the original Mr. Croak. That was the original. Okay. The one who had it built. Um, this is Mrs. Patterson. That's the one who shows up the absolute most. Who's Catherine? Catherine is Mrs. Patterson. Okay, that's who it is. That's Mrs. I knew it. I knew Catherine. It. And, it had, and it's like, it has to be Miss Patterson. She died in 1902 from a nervous collapse suspected to be cholera. But mm. I have I have doubts. Okay, one well, one thing I didn't know if I should say or not, like on here, because I didn't want to like freak people out. But one thing that I have seen and I is that um that they're like a like a PK or like a dark entity, they are not allowed to take your life, but they're allowed to speed up what would have killed you anyway. Ooh. So like they can so like if you were gonna die of a heart attack, they can like speed that process up. The Fay actually told me that because there's like a whole series called Missing 411 where uh-huh. all these people go missing um in forests and like investigators are like some something is hunting humans in the yeah. That's how many go missing. And so the Fay were telling me that because then they'll just show up dead. Yeah. And people are like what and there's what no reason for it. Yeah. So they're showing me spirits as spirit as like non 3d beings we can speed up thirst we can speed up hunger so you die of thirst within like three hours versus dying of thirst within three to five days well that makes so much sense because everyone's life cycle within the property is so truncated and i'm not just talking about their physical life i'm talking about like people who built the property and expected to live there for the rest of their life walk out in six months yeah and people who's it's it's just odd that almost every family who's been in the property has very unexplainable people pass away in their family, like consistently. And we're not talking one family and we're not talking one cause either. We have drug addiction, we have un, unresolved, we have cholera, we have just people just like dropping dead in the property. Yeah. It makes so much sense if something were, oh, I just got like, if something were hunting people who live in the property. Well, I think, yeah, I think it's more like, yeah, it's, it's probably maybe a mix of like get out, but also I, I honestly feel when I'm thinking about this place, I don't even, that's why I'm saying PK and not poltergeist because I don't think it's intentionally like yeah. get out. I yeah. feel like it's just, I am a negative, I'm created from anxiety, sorrow, whatever it's created from. And so for example, that plumber, let's say he had, and that. That's why everyone should be in charge of their energy bodies and making sure that they are releasing trauma because that PK can literally like, if that guy had, you know, whatever, like anger issues, right? Let's just say right. he has an angry side. Then that PK can come and just like totally blow that up and feed off that 
right? And then and then it it grows in him, and then you speed up a heart attack from like ten years to two days. I wonder if also if somebody living in the property at the time, I'm sure more than one, honestly, but if somebody was a sensitive or a medium, or I find that PK oftentimes is a not always, but many times when a PK starts to become violent or it starts acting out on its own accord, it's because a host is uncomfortable with the fact that they are sensitive or they are a medium or they have abilities and they end up shoving all of those feelings into the PK mm-hmm. and the PK ends up developing its own identity. Um, and that's like a very sophisticated PK is one that can then turn around and begin to attack its host. Yeah. Because that, that developed, like you have to do that for years. You have to be feeding it with your anger and your resentment and your abilities. Cause you're like, you're trying to push your abilities out, right? You don't want them. You don't want them to be a part of you. And so you end up creating this entity that is all of those things. I wonder if one of these historical figures was gifted. Yeah. Either knew or didn't know, who knows, but yeah, and the fact that the whole thing is made of like very spiritually charged rock. Yeah. They could be like feeling that. <laughs> and then yeah. Like, what is that? Because that's why so many people be like, it's haunted. And then you realize, again, it's just like a nice old lady. Yeah. So it's like yeah. it's haunted, but not by like a negative thing. Right. So yeah, maybe he was like hearing things, seeing things, and being like, this is like evil and negative. And really, it's just, it's not, but yeah. you just don't make of it because it's scary it's new oh my god i've completely forgot about this i think you're i think oh my god one of the last things i didn't put this in the podcast because well we're still recording so i might who knows if you're hearing this yeah. it's because it made the cut on <laughs> <laughs> the sirens we opened my windows because i was burning and i just needed a little air and we thought we were yeah. now we're still chatting and here are these fun things so <sighs> no one of the final how fitting right you don't want me to talk about this, do you? <laughs> it blew my mind. Oh my God, what? So they were talking about Dante and Divine Comedy. Okay. Long conversation about like one of the final like thoughts or comments or thesis moments of this documentary. They're talking about it, talking about purgatory, talking about how, um, yada, yada, all that. And then they start pulling up all of these engravings from the 1800s that were being made in Europe of kind of like putting uh, inf- inferni, the inferno, hell, into like into imagery. Guess what? I just want to show you one. I'm going to show you one because they started superimposing these over each other, and I lost my mind. Oh my god, what? But almost every single one has like the exact same rock formations as garden of the gods behind it you have to go watch it because it's like i'm talking like i'm not talking like three etchings i'm talking like 15 16 17 where they just like kept like blurring back and forth between the rock formations of guardian of, of the gods and lining them up with the structures it's the same rocks and that documentary you're saying, talking yeah. about and it's like all the same angled like straight up but it 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 sounds like i'm making shit up it sounds wild to even hear me say that like the etchings from the 1800s match Garden of the Gods, but they do, but like they actually do. And a lot, it basically the documentary is wondering if there's a lot more on the spiritual level going on in the stones of Guardian of, of Garden of the Gods and similar 
rocks, similar formations on another plane that we don't know about and ripping those rocks out of this land. Did they not know what they were doing? Did they not know what they were getting into? Oh, like a Montezuma's curse kind of situation. Yes, exactly. Did they pull rocks from something that's like, we can say sacred and indigenous burial grounds and all of that. Is it something even further than that? Is it a vortex? Is, is Garden of the Gods a vortex point? Is Garden of the Gods a, like a, like a, tra- like is, is it a gateway? Is it a gateway into another level? Is it a gateway to hell? Is it, well, I don't know. Okay. The first thing that came to my mind when you said that was they disrupted, like basically Garden of the Gods is like very specifically created energetically. Right. So when you dig out, you're disrupting that balance. Yeah. And so you collapse energetically, like what's in there. And it's kind of like, oh, why'd you guys do that? Kind of thing. It's just a little too, it gets past the like, well, that's a stretch. Cause I fully, when they started making their point, I was like, okay, y'all like, whoa, like that's, that's, that's a bold claim. But the more and more that they layered over their pers- like specific perspectives in these different etchings that can be matched in Garden of the Gods. Like looking through this canyon with two things going this way and one little rock on the side, like they can match it. And then another one that was like walking up the side of a something or other with like a big cliff behind it and they can match it. it okay, wait, so what's the documentary called again? It's called The Castle Project. Castle Project. It's on Amazon Prime. It's free. And it, you can tell that they started it with the intention to be like a historical documentary of renovating this home. But, the, and the guy just decided to throw up some cameras and it's just like orbs galore, knocks galore. It's just from night one, the guys, cause it's literally, it's a little bit like paranormal activity in terms of how it's edited, like night one, night two, night 14, night 15. And two weeks before the fire happened on the property, is when the owner sat down in front of his camera, I have seen the video and said, I just realized the fact that I'm staying on the third floor of this property that doesn't have a single smoke detector in it. He's like, if this thing lights on fire, it's gonna get to the third floor before I even know. He's like, it's just, it's not safe for me to be here. I'm gonna go ahead and cut my month that I was gonna stay here now. And I'm gonna go stay somewhere else because it's just, it's not safe. I'm not safe here. Two weeks later, that midnight call happens. The second floor is on fire. Yeah. So he knew. He knew. Someone there had really bad. I really think that someone there had like really bad, like emotional state that ripped a portal. I mean, that could be too lean. Yeah. That could be too lean. Because I also think that she is the one that people see on the staircase more than Miss Patterson. Because people always say that the woman on the staircase looks like sickly and frail and panicked. There's always like this feeling of like, um, bustling up and down the stairs and some of the people who've owned it were like i just let her be like she just runs up up and down the stairs all day and i just let her be but like that kind of nonchalance to a haunting like to get to the point where you're just like i just let the ghost that's running up and down the stairs do her thing all day like but it would make so much sense if she was to the point especially if she was if, if her death was assisted and all this time everyone's saying that she killed herself I can only imagine what that is. And you're stuck on the, the house that you did it in. And everyone's talking about Miss Sudan killed herself. Miss Sudan killed herself. I would be like, um, no, I didn't stop. And the more, like the more your story lives in other people, the more it develops an identity of its own. 
And also I'm feeling like, okay, let me know what you think about this. I'm feeling from her, like, uh, I have to stay in this house and protect people from whatever. Yeah, like, I feel like yeah, like I feel totally. like almost guilt. Yeah. Like I started, this. but yeah. like, I never meant to, but like, I might've started this and I got to watch out for it. Oh my God. These things, oh, wow. like people have no idea what is rolling around on the earth plane yeah. out of, out of physical sight. Yeah. And if only we could like acknowledge from like day one of every kid's life, like, okay, you may all of a sudden like hear voices, like you may get weird thoughts in your head that aren't yours. And so just know, like if the thoughts want you to hurt yourself, like that's not you and you should tell them to go away. And if they're out of character for, if they're out of character for yourself, yeah. you feel empowered to question them. And yes. Their place. I, there, I'm telling, like, I am like, devoting my life to this. Like I have huge plans with this. Yeah. Oh my God, but thank you so much for letting me tell you one of these incredible Colorado tales. There's so much going on in this land that none of us know about. And I just want to take some time to bring some awareness to those stories and bring a little awareness and respect to everything that's gone on before we got here. So thank yeah. you so much for joining us, Mina. Where can where can people find you? Where Where can people follow you? What's going on for you? How can my listeners support you and follow along with your journey? Uh, I am on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube as Your Soul Warrior. Um, yeah, I'm everywhere. YourSoulWarrior.com. Mina also has an incredible membership site that you need to go check out because it's amazing. I've heard incredible things. There's Tell me all about what's involved in that. I know there's um, some rituals with the rest of the membership. Yeah, so every month I release new workshops, meditations. Um, I talk a lot. I update. It's very ascension based. Yeah. So I update people on like earth energy that I'm feeling, or like even for example, like we were talking earlier before we shot this podcast about how just spirits have been visiting us like in droves lately, and yeah. so talking about that, the veil being very thin. So we talk about that. We, um, I teach how to channel, how to work with your spirit guides, how to move through the 16 levels of spiritual growth, like basically how to with every cool spiritual trick you can possibly think of. It's um, like your I'm lifetime sure. of work in one. It is. It, it is. really is. It's, it's your, yeah. it's, it's the, it's your baby. It's kind of the culmination and create and continual creation of your spiritual work, which is amazing. Now this is a really great time for me to kind of let our listeners in on kind of where my mind's at for the future of this podcast because Mina has already been a part of it and I know we'll continue to be a part of it. So as you all know, I have dedicated these first six episodes, my first mini season to Colorado Paranormal Tales, just so you can get to know me and get to know a little bit about who I am and um, explore some of these incredible stories with me. After this season and starting this fall, we'll be starting to incorporate some more episodes, really delving into very specific spiritual topics. And I know that divination and channeling and mediumship and all of those times, what, what is magic? What are crystals? How do I work with it? Um, or is it all going to be a part of that journey? And Mina and I have already got one episode in the can that'll come out a little bit later on, but I know that I'll have Mina back to kind of help me talk about the 16 levels of spiritual growth. I want, I want to hear about it. I want our listeners to learn about it. So this is not the last time that we'll invite Mina back. So 
I will have to have you back very soon. Yes. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. So thank you so, so much for joining today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And we will catch you all on episode three for another Colorado Paranormal Tales. goes out to my brother, Andrew Haig, for providing and producing our theme music and transitional music. I truly hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you would take a moment, be sure to go visit us at www.whenwallscantalktarot.com or on Instagram at whenwallscantalk with underscores for spaces. You can also reach me to schedule your tarot session by emailing me at jeremy at whenwallscantalktarot.com. Other than that, I truly hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I cannot wait to come back next week with another Colorado tale.